Jacob DeGrom is not human. The best pitcher in baseball and Taiwan Walker carried the Mets to a series win at City Field over the Nationals. We'll discuss DeGrom's greatness, Albert Amora's sensational snag, and look ahead to two games against the Red Sox. Our special guest this week is the post-Knicks podcast host, WFAN host, and SNY contributor, our good friend Sal Licata. Let's talk Mets baseball next on Amazing But True from the New York Post. Crazy, yo. Mets take the field. So amazing. Amazing but true. Orange and blue. So amazing. Here's the pitch. New York folks. It's out of here. We got gotcha. you. Ooh. <laughs> Welcome. To Amazing But True, our New York Mets podcast from the New York Post. Why wouldn't I be laughing and happy the Mets win two out of three at City Field over the weekend, over the Nationals? Always good to beat those stupid Nationals. It's Jake Brown here. Nelson Figaro there. You can follow us on Twitter at Jake Brown Radio at Figgy NY. New episodes drop Mondays and Thursdays. So make sure you subscribe wherever you get podcasts. But if you're on Apple Podcasts, do us a favor. Go in there now. Give us a five-star rating. Write in a nice review. We appreciate it. Joining us later in the show is our Big Apple Buckets Knicks host, SNY personality, WFAN host, our friend used to work with him at SNY Figgy. That would be Sal Licata. He's great. Have a fun time with him. Do a little Spanish Academy with Sal this week. Switch it up. Have a new student added to your class. You got a big roster of students, Figgy. And, you know, the Mets had a great weekend that started with Friday, and we had a blast there on Friday from the suite. You know, we gave out some shirts. Shout out to Maida on the t-shirts. Those were clutch. I think people love free shirts, Figgy. And, you know, shout out to Bridget in the in the suite was pouring up them shots like no other, uh, replenishing the Shake Shack burgers and chicken fingers. And my fat belly was settled. Uh, drinks were all settled. And it was a fun night to see a Jacob DeGrom performance figgy that, I mean, you can't even make it up anymore from what he's doing at the plate to what he's doing at the mound and just striking guys out, 15 strikeouts. It's GOAT level. I mean, he's going to be in the conversation of one of the top five greatest pitchers to ever play the game. See, normally I'd say, you know, guys like you, oh, they exaggerate a lot. Not when it comes to Jacob DeGrom. Not when it comes to watching a guy who is so meticulously dismantling hitters and... I mean, all night long, it was obvious. You're looking at professional hitters, the best of the best, looking at the top 750 athletes that play baseball on the planet. And you saw grown men act as if they've never seen pitches move before or the type of velocity that he had. I mean, those guys all day long, all game long, all you saw was half swings, check swings, swings that looked like they had no chance of being in the same ballpark. And we knew very early that we were going to be watching something special. We also knew that it was probably going to take Jacob DeGrom to make, help him score the runs because he doesn't get many runs. But I think the fourth inning was still nothing, nothing. And Jake drives in the first run. And at that point, you're like, OK, that's all he's going to need. This guy has to seem to always be perfect. And yet he doesn't disappoint. I've I've never seen anything like it in my lifetime. And because every start, we keep saying the same thing. It's got to affect him. It's got to bother him. It's got. And it, yet all he does is control what he can control and put the ball wherever he wants to, when he wants to, able to add velocity, subtract velocity, make the ball look like a strike, not be a strike, just a a complete master at work. You are witnessing greatness. So we always talk about the top 
pitchers that we've ever seen. You know, when I was a kid growing up, it was Doc Gooden. You know, my dad always talked about Seaver. And now, you know, people nowadays need to really bear notice to what Jacob DeGrom is doing. Yeah, and, you know, the fact that he hit eighth, it worked out because he got the RBI hit hitting eighth. I mean, Luis Rojas, let's go. I'll I'll give him a a round of applause. (laughs) I like to hate on Rojas a lot. Nice move because DeGrom not only was doing it pitching, he got the RBI hit as well. And you mentioned your dad. You know, I met the meet the Figueroas. I mean, how about Papa and, you know, great to hear him talk about you and how happy he was seeing you pitch and being a Mets fan. And we saw the brick outside of the stadium after the game where it says, my son uh, Nelson pitched for the Mets and now I can die and go to heaven. And I know uh, tears were, were flowing in the uh, in the suite as your as your parents had a good time. I didn't hear him curse. You say he, he curses. I didn't hear as many curses as I, as I thought. Listen, I would. he was uh, he was on his good behavior, right? He, he knows that when we get into a suite, there's ears and eyes all over the place. So he's he was on his good behavior when he's normally watching a game at home. Oh, God, he lets it rip. And uh, that's one of the things that I worry about putting him on the podcast. But he's such a passionate Mets fan. You can see that and hear that that from him immediately to be out after dealing with COVID because they got COVID early on back in March. And it was, you know, very scary because we didn't know what was going on or how it was going to be treated or how the lasting effects were going to be. It was great to have them out at the ballpark. You know, they got their J&J vaccination, so they were ready to go. And I invited them out there. Mom had a great time. She was celebrating at the end. She was so excited for Jacob DeGrom. Called it a historic night that she was there to see his best outing of his career. And that's what it's all about for me is, is having that opportunity to share that. And my dad, I think, talked to you about being at the World Series in 2015 and how amazing that was because he was excited just to not only be there, but to share in that ambience. We were sitting in section 109 in a row of, uh, I had a nice strip of, of tickets where I, I had all my family go down and watch the games because I was working on the broadcast. So I went over and watched a couple and everybody treated them like royalty down there and they had so much fun high-fiving with my dad on every play and he gets into it. So for me, it, it was one thing to play and live out the dream. We're still fans after to see my dad smile at the ballpark is always special yeah and he was having a good time we were high-fiving you know he didn't reap the bridget uh, pouring of the vodka like i did i you know i went a little <laughs> crazy with that um you know a good vodka sprite mix and uh two shake shacks some chicken fingers some fries then later on had a cookie and a pretzel down by the uh the second row so i i got that bmi way up through the roof but you know the mets got their bmi up on the mound and friday was great you know sunday was great with taiwan walker shutting down the nationals and it's always good to hit pass Patrick Corbin, J.D. Davis, so much success against Patrick. I mean, that's like Joe McEwing versus Randy Johnson kind of success when you talk about a right-hand hitter and a left-hand pitcher that he just owns him, and you love to see that. Saturday was rough. I was there, and it got chilly, man. I thought 60s. I was set. I was cold as you know what. Like, I was cold as, uh, you know, I'm not why, even going to make it. Why is it cold as you know what? Because it, usually that's not very cold. I, I'm just weird comment. I don't understand where that phrase came from. Cold, cold, cold as a hard nipple i don't know but (laughs) (laughs) how cold as ice cold as ice yeah um it was it was chilly and uh you know i rarely leave a game early but i left after the eighth i even managed through the eighth and no one does that you know that was a rough one and speaking on the capacity front figgy so basically the restrictions will go from 20 to 33 percent for outdoor stadiums beginning with that series may 24th against the rockies i believe it is but because of this six 
foot distancing, social distancing requirement rule. Team ticketing reps have told the fans the actual maximum may be 22% to abide by this rule, and the 33% would be physically impossible. The max would be 22%. The Mets are waiting to see if New York State reduces the social distancing guideline for outdoor venues, which will let them hit 33%. This is just getting ridiculous at this point. Just open up the damn stadium. Give me 33%. I get the safety, but my God, Figgy, ticket prices this week against the Red Sox on a weeknight to get in are ranging from 150 up to get in the door on a weeknight in April. And I know a lot of that's Boston fans, but you got to open up more people. People are craving to get in the game, and it is becoming unaffordable to go to City Field for an average oh, person right go. now. Not affordable, Figgy. Well, no, again, it's supply and demand, and even the season ticket holders are really, they're bummed out right now because of it, it's not opening up fast enough for everybody. And I get that and I understand that, but I'd rather be safe than sorry. I know, you know, you have to either have your vaccination or have a, a negative COVID test. So you think all those things are in place. You can't change the dimensions of the ballpark. So if you map it out and you measure it out, it's, there's no way that you can fit 33% at that point or 30% at that point. So again, take it err on the slow side. As it opens up, I'm more concerned about being healthy and everybody getting through to September and October. That'll be when it's important to have more fans in the ballpark and more fans will jump on the bandwagon i think then let's go back to saturday real quick because you know we're praising these starters and we're praising the starting pitching especially the outings that we saw this weekend one area of concern for me was marcus stroman and yes jumped on board with everybody else he looked fantastic first three games especially pitching in a hostile environment in colorado and not being an overpowering pitcher pitching as well as he did he was being flashy flamboyant and his old self that's what i like to see from him but there's a Another side to that coin, when he starts being affected by umpires and the way that the umpire's strike zone was a little bit tighter than he thought, and he felt like he threw a lot more strikes, but every time he threw bad pitches and got hit around, he kind of looked at the umpire like it was the umpire's fault. He's way too experienced, way too good to allow that to happen because that's all you saw. And you heard on the broadcast, uh-oh, it looks like he's starting to spiral out of control. And next thing you know, you look up and there's four runs on the board and you didn't have the best luck of where these hits fell in and things of that nature, but he's too good to let that happen and to be affected by an umpire. And the umpire, I think, was hurrying him up in between his warm-ups or something like that. And he took, you know, he was upset with that as well. That's where you have to be a little bit wiser. Learn from those experiences because I think that's what a lot of teams try to do to him. And if he's able to kind of not worry about the other teams yelling at him about how, you know, not good he is because he's, you know, he's doing well and he makes a pitch or a strikeout and he struts it off and he gets yelled at, he has to be able to have that laser-like focus. And that is the difference between Ace and a guy like DeGrom. Stroman has been an Ace before for the Toronto Blue Jays in a dome, but he's not been like a Jacob DeGrom type locked in and focused where nothing can bother that man. Not even his team, not scoring runs, not even, you know, he gave up a solo shot, you know, making a bad pitch. Okay, well, I'm going to throw the rest of the game and shutouts the rest of the way. Stroman needs to be better and I expect more and hopefully we'll see him come back out there and be a little bit more level-headed because that's the problem with baseball. Very humbling sport. There's highs and lows, you know, from start to start, you could be the best in the game. You could be the worst in the game and it happens all the time. Yeah. And we saw the best of him for the whole year so far. So he was due. I also got to say the offense has got to give these guys some support too. And you know, they lost seven, one, so they would have needed a lot more than one run, but I'd like to see the offense have like a 10 run showing 
you know, we always we talk about, you know, save some runs for the next day. I'd like to just see an outburst. Like, can we get a 12-run Mets parade? Can we get it against the Red Sox this week? I'd love to see that. But luckily Sunday, one man came to save the day. And that would be the man making his first start of the season. Albert Amora, what a catch. And let's tune in to hear about that catch with another Spanish Academy. Ya lo monta, cero y dos. Está en el hoyo, en tercera Hernández, en primera Bell. Hay Washington por las esquinas, hay dos out. Viene la oferta, el lanzamiento, batazo peligroso, profundo por el central. Almora va atrás, Almora sigue atrás, Almora llegó, Almora, Almora Junior. Espectacular. En una jugada sensacional, corriendo todo el trayecto del Prado Central y contra la verja. Se quedó con ella para hacer el tercero de la entrada. Defensa gana partido. How about that spectacular? Can you do an impression of that? Shout out to the guy that called no, Nestor no, no. Rosario, 92.7 FM. Que buena, Nestor Rosario. Can I hear you do spectacular? The best is you can't even pronounce his name. <laughs> Try to do the rest of it. Those guys do such a fantastic job because everything sounds more exciting when it comes out with a couple of, you know, R's being rolled and the, and, and just the, the, the flair that they do everything with. But that was definitely that kind of call worthy because Amora went back and just you thought, okay, it's over his head. It's going to be extra bases. And he leapt and he just kind of cushioned himself. It's kind of remind you of the days of, you know, when Ligaris would do that, but Ligaris we crash into the wall and then we'd have to pick him up and put him on the DL. This guy, you saw the way he braced himself. He's like, I'm going up against the wall. And I think that comes from playing in a place like Wrigley where it's a brick wall behind that Ivy. So you got to learn how to brace yourself and be able to go up against that wall. There was no fear. And that's what you love to see from him. I, I really, I liked the signing at the time. Um, he's a guy that I would really like to see them keep around because he is a younger version of Pilar. He's only 26, 27 years old. I love all the elements that he brings to the table his his defense the way he runs bases he has a little bit of pop in his bat and he's not uh he's not a very flashy guy i like his workman like ethic he just uh, needs to hit ethic. we gotta get some hitting oh. out of him oh and, and but that comes with getting you know more reps it was the same thing with lagaris when lagaris would play it would be like oh man if he could only hit you know 250 uh well you can't get him to hit 250 if he's only playing once every eight days but he's playing defense every game so you see him at the end of ball games and you're like oh this guy's in every game yeah he's in there for defense so i'm more is almost in that same boat but he's so young and he, he i still think he's very talented enough to understand how to hit and and be able to be a, a sufficient enough hitter uh to get more playing time but brandon nimmo's been playing well above expectation so it's that's where managing and rojas and even the front office the way that they're putting these lineups together that comes into play right you got to get brandon nimmo some rest obviously because he's been carrying the team mostly offensively uh you get Almora in there and you don't really bat an eyelash because you know this guy is fully capable of, of doing some good things in center field i'm gonna need some live translation of this moment figgy spectacular a sensational play the yeah. trajecto's trajectory doble or oh, doubly backing up so backing up towards the wall backing up towards the wall I just shimmy Central y contra la verja.
running through all center field towards the wall. Yeah. Like all of it. <laughs> I think I think you know that part. Yeah, that's that is a supported center, top ten. How do you say top ten? <laughs> Lo mejor diez. Lo mejor diez. Lo mejor diez. I love it. <laughs> Albert Amor, what a play. Now the Mets will take on the Red Sox. You know, nine and eight, first place, feeling great. Another day off. And then oh, Thursday, another day off, another one, another one. DJ Khaled's gonna start filming commercials about all these Mets off days and games they aren't playing. I mean, can we play a series of seven games in seven days without one single doubleheader? Uh don't tell that to Madison Bumgarner, who's no hitter, didn't count essentially. I had him in fantasy, and I guess no hitter is not an extra category, but I mean that's just a, a joke for another day. Well, they only give a one hit in the whole double header so that, how about that one against the braves too yeah love to see impressive well listen the braves lost too the nationals lost the marlins lost the phillies lost the yankees lost i mean it was like a heavenly day for mets fans on sunday everything that could happen uh would happen and the mets play the red sox and you know i think the red sox games are always fun figgy you know dating back to 86 of course you know i was at the game in 2001 if you're a diehard fan you remember glendon rush pitched a complete game one hitter and the only hit was like a slow roller to third base that's another one of those i remember that but i don't remember what i had for dinner last night moments um but that i remember that game i got there like in the fifth inning it was 2001 it was july 14 2001 the mets won two nothing you know they won two out of three then then 06 then 09 then they went six years 2015 um they played them 2018 and last year they played you know it's a rare back-to-back years that they're playing them figgy but you remember the omir santos home run at fenway that game i don't know if you remember that one that was a classic so you know it's always fun facing the Red Sox because the ALEs you, you talk about facing the Yankees 86 is such an iconic World Series that anytime you can face them it's good and guess what it is the battle of two first place teams at City Field this week so maybe that combined with the weather combined with the capacity combined with Red Sox fans coming out or why tickets are going to cost you an arm and a leg to get in the building on a Tuesday and a Wednesday but I think that's good figure it means one there's excitement around the Mets and two it means that you got two first place teams going at it in April with good weather you can't ask for much more than that man yeah, I, I'm really excited about uh, seeing this series. Uh, it's the best offense that Jacob DeGrom is going to face when he pitches. That's going to be a challenge in itself to, or a, a reality check for the Red Sox to show them exactly what facing a guy like Jacob DeGrom is like. So I'm, I'm excited for both ways of the series. I want to see the Mets continue to play good baseball and defense to continue to improve because I think that's been their real Achilles heel. They can hit enough with the way that the starting pitching is doing and as long as the bullpen continues to be rock solid Edwin Diaz shutting the door with 99 to 101 mile an hour fastballs uh the Mets are in a very nice position and we keep saying it we keep waiting for you know all the pieces to come back right now just uh, I'm appreciative of watching good baseball and being out at the ballpark you know what you're, you're gonna talk me into going to one of these weekday games yeah not too long here let's go come on down bro <laughs> you know get, if you want to hook me up with tickets for Wednesday I mean I, I gotta pay $300 to get in I'm not gonna do that so you know I'm I'm in to go Wednesday, but Noah Syndergaard, as you said, Carlos Grass, they rehabbed over the weekend. That's our final point that we didn't hit. Thor hit 97. He was very strong. Carrasco was good. So it looks like Carrasco will be ready second week of May. So the Mets only have to get maybe one more spot start out of maybe Lucchese, but with these off days, that helps. See more DeGrom. You get DeGrom on Wednesday. Tuesday, you get Peterson versus Richards. Wednesday, Pavetta versus DeGrom. So a couple good pitching matchups before the Mets play a series this weekend against the Phillies. Once again, they'll have three in Philadelphia. All night games, by the way. That'll be Sunday night baseball this 
weekend. Joining us next on Amazing But True is a friend of ours and our Knicks podcast host, WFAN and SMY's Salicata, right here on Amazing But True. And joining us now on Amazing But True is another host from another New York Post podcast. He hosts our Knicks podcast, Big Apple Buckets, which Tuesday we will have Patrick Ewing on the show for a must listen. The Knicks are fun. The Mets are fun. And Sal Licata is always fun and a fellow bald-headed man. He's now a father. And you can follow him on Twitter at Sal underscore Licata. You can check him out on WFAN, 1 a.m. to 5 a.m. You can see him on SNY as well, Geico Sports Night, Baseball Night in New York. Sal, how is the father life? First off, welcome to the show, and how is being a father? That's what you're going to ask me to start? I mean, do you want the truth? It's been brutal. It is rough. Anybody who says the greatest thing ever. Now, I do love her, and there are parts of me where I look at my daughter and say, wow, this is really cool, but the majority of the time, I'm not sleeping. I have no time to do anything. I mean, it's ridiculous, so it's very, very, very difficult, and I wouldn't say that it's been fun uh, in the first week of this year. It's true, Figgy. You know the deal. Oh, man. Listen, I, I miss you, Sal. <laughs> God, I miss you. I mean, something as sweet as the birth of his first child, the daughter of all things, and the first thing I He's trying to watch the Knicks brutal. games and the Mets. Come on. I don't blame him. This is why I don't have a child. Oh, God. Hey, listen. He used to be all over Diaz as much as you were, so and now he's taking that whole brutal mentality to not fatherhood of all things. But, hey, way to start out with the a bang. Second, yeah, the second that I – you know, you talk about watching these games, right? Mets, Yankees, Knicks, whatever. The second that my recliner gets to the position I'm comfortable with, the baby starts crying. The second. It never <laughs> fails. I'm going to throw the recliner out, there, take it out to the garbage. It never fails. <laughs> I can't sit there in peace and watch a game anymore. But it's, uh, no, yeah, it's the greatest no. thing ever. Ever. It's the greatest thing ever. Yeah. Do you have any pointers? Having you're, you only have one. You have one kid, and it's a daughter as well. I have one. My, hey, listen, I'm on the other end of the spectrum right now. She's 17. Got her first car. Has her license. You know, she's enjoying her little bit of freedom and everything like that. So I trust me. I don't envy you at all in that beginning stage. It is a beautiful thing. And hey, congrats to you and your wife. And uh, you know, she was the real MVP of that whole thing when it's all said and done. So. Uh, congrats to you guys. And uh, listen, it's a beautiful journey. And raising a sports fan as a little girl, it takes twists and turns, man. Mine became a gymnast. Never wanted to pick up a baseball. But every now and then she wanted to go in the backyard and, and hit a baseball. And then I'm like, softball maybe? Nah, right back to gymnastics. So it'll be interesting to see a uh, little Licata running yeah, around with, uh, with her family. Yeah, right. No, she'll be screaming at the TV yelling for Diaz to get out of the game. Uh, <laughs> just be daddy's footsteps. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Well, we're all good. Girl dads. My girl just happens to be the chicken parm slice I just ate before the show, and it's in my belly right now. <laughs> Sal, well, good to have you on, man. And, you know, the Knicks are fun, so that's good. You had a baby while the Knicks are the hottest team in the NBA, although the Wizards are right behind them, uh, winning eight in a row now. Knicks have won nine. Um, but the Mets are off to a solid start. I know you you weren't happy that they didn't get Springer. I know you sometimes complain about this team, but you can't complain with what you're getting, at least from the starting pitching so far. Well, I mean, no. DeGrom is the best pitcher ever, and you have Stroman, who's been great and I like Stroman coming into the year behind him Taiwan Walker has been really good I love Peterson's competitive
explosiveness. So they're and, and you know they're getting Carrasco and Syndergaard back at some point. Starting pitching is fine for me. I like May in the bullpen. Castro's been good in the bullpen. I, I can't wait for them to get Lugo back. I just don't trust Diaz. So and that's my only issue with really their staff as a whole is is Diaz as the closer. I don't really trust. Outside of that, it's fine. The lineup is okay. It's been inconsistent, but coming into the year, I thought this team would be okay. And I think so far watching, they're okay. They have some strengths and they have some clear weaknesses. Defense has been an issue. Bullpen at times has been an issue. Offense has been an issue. So there are inconsistencies with this ball club that would concern me going in and still concern me through the first few weeks of the season. Yeah, the best cure for defensive woes is offense and lots of offense. And unless Jacob deGrom is pitching, they've been doing pretty well. You have to admit, J.D. Davis seems to, I don't understand, the Superman suit he puts on at home because he hits a ton at home always at City Field. You know, he's up there with the all-time greats of hitting in a Met uniform at home. Uh, his defense, if it's not his glove, it's his throwing, it's his footwork. I don't get it. It's just something that's so mentally locked in on that poor guy. And out of Lindor and the rest of the crew, so Lindor, Conforto, McNeil, those guys still have not at all been able to produce barely past their weight right now. So that's a concern, of course. But if you look at it, they're in first place, right at the top of the of division. The starting pitch has been phenomenal. Diaz, since 2019, because I try to you know rub that out of my eyes every time I think about 2019, Diaz has been very, very solid, putting up plus numbers again in strikeouts, and he just looks like the electric stuff is there and the confidence is there. For me, I think it's the rest of the bullpen, Sal. I think, um, and it's not Familia. Familia's actually been really, really good. When you, If you watch the games, you look at the box score, sometimes you see, oh my God, he's giving up four hits and a run in an inning. You watch the games, and it's chopper, blooper, broken bat kind of stuff. So he's been throwing the ball very well it's the other guys so it's loop is the only lefty uh was a shipley a tarpley came in the other day and imploded he hasn't looked like much of anything it's those other guys so until they get back lugo and then carrasco comes back and then you start getting that depth and then you get all of a sudden syndergaard back that's where it gets really interesting and really fun but this offense has to pick it up so i want to talk about diaz for a second because you, you touched on him there and you mentioned you're trying to rub your eyes from 2019 well i can't do that and i have people on Twitter, you know, oh, Sal, you're biased against Diaz. No, I'm not. I, I saw it. There's a reason why I can't stand the guy. And it's because of what I saw. And not even, by the way, just 2019. He did it last year. He blew four of his 10 safe opportunities in 2020, a year where everybody's telling me he's great. And you've also seen it this year where he comes in, he's throwing the ball all over the place. I just don't trust him. What it's going to take for me to trust him? I don't know because I saw too much bad. That's my issue. Every bullpen's going to have guys like Tarpley or Barnes that aren't going to get big outs. They're just going to be in there and mop up duty or to eat innings in a blowout game. But they have Castro. They have May. Lugo comes back. You're talking about four solid guys that can get a big out to the back end of that bullpen. I'm fine with that. I just don't trust Diaz in a big spot. Who's a, a clear-cut closer? I mean, that gets the Currently job in the time. league you're talking about? Well, yeah, yeah, currently Chapman agree. would be one. I know he didn't do it in the postseason. What? Oh, Chapman, come on, it's automatic. In the regular season, it's not even a threat. <laughs> it's not even a threat. <laughs> Oh, and in the postseason, he's given up big home runs, but to, to you know that happens to the best of them. But I get your point. There aren't lockdown closers that you trust 100. But I'll tell you this: if you were to you know go back based on the Mets history, I, there's a lot of guys that I trust more so than Diaz. He may be the worst that I've seen. You could throw in Braden Looper, Bobby Braden Portell. Looper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he went 
Brayden and Looper. I was going to say maybe Armando Benitez is better than Diaz. I don't know about Brayden and Looper, though. Although Looper did have a couple of moments that he was okay. And I get it. Was Listen, Diaz cost me a... St- I owe Jeff Nelson and Chris Sheeran a steak dinner because uh, Diaz blew that Yankee game. Uh, what was it? Like the five-game series? And he, Oh, my goodness. Or early on, he was just brutal. So I get it. We need to see a long stretch where he converts saves, and we haven't even seen that yet this year because we haven't had save situations. Exactly. So I can see Sal's pain. But I do think the bats, Sal, are going to come around. I like to contribute a lot of it to the colder weather. And I think when the weather warms up, you'll see these bats. They're just too talented, one to eight. I mean, there's just too much talent for them not to come around. And once they do and give these guys run support, I'm not too worried. The biggest strength of this team should be that one that's how they were built I know what they are one two with DeGrom we could talk about that starting rotation and now maybe that's going to be the strength the way that it's played out here but going into the year they were built to beat people with the bats we've said this before with this team but this year in particular with the addition of Lindor with Conforto coming off his best year even though it was a pandemic shortened year assuming Alonzo and McNeil would bounce back after down years last year they you know Nimmo a full year healthy they should be one of the better offensive teams but yet with this team it's the same thing over and over there's inconsistencies there one guy I'm not worried about is Lindor and I know people are bringing up ridiculous comparisons to Alomar and he still to me looks good now he's cost him a couple of games here but he still looks locked in and I think it's a matter of time before he gets on a real hot streak I love Alonzo I thought he was primed to have a big bounce back here this year McNeil concerns me Conforto concerns me you know McCann is he going to be the offensive player that they thought when you look at the difference with Real Muto and McCann right now it's not even close so there's still a hey, Dom Smith I like but he hasn't been great McNeil is a big concern for me, and I think Conforto was also a concern maybe with the pressure of looking, you know, trying to get a big contract, and just that he hasn't done it from start to finish of a full season what he did a year ago. So those are my mild concerns with this offense. Yeah, Conforto is definitely that guy that is under the microscope big time, and what have we know, learned about him? Early on in his career, I guess when he wasn't thinking about it and just reacting, hitting home runs off Zach Greinke in the playoffs, off, denting the foul pole, that was just reactionary stuff, right? He wasn't thinking about it. Now that it seems like he's thinking about every little thing, his defense has been suspect. His offense has been suspect. His just his demeanor. When they hit the fly balls to him, they're challenging him on shallow fly balls. Base hits that get through, like the other the other day with a, uh, a Strowman's game, where they hit that ground ball that went through to him, and he's kind of double clutching and expecting them to hold him up at third base. They're challenging him, and he's making these wild erratic throws. Like his overall game has really taken a, a, a step back for me. And when you have you know that this Boris is negotiating this contract. You know Boris is on top of him. Hey, I need you to pick it up. Hey, all of New York needs him to pick it up. He's in his own head right now. You could see the at-bats. You could see, go back to Jake's point. He took one for the team to win that game that day. And I couldn't have been more disgusted with a professional hitter. It was embarrassing. In all my career. In all my career. Because that that that's not what you expect. It was two-strike count. I'm expecting maybe him throwing the hands and getting the barrel out and maybe getting hit on the hand because he was trying to be aggressive. No. He poked his elbow out to save his own skin and it winds up winning them a ball game i don't remember ever thinking of conforto being that guy and and bases were loaded who would i want up there with two outs and the game on the line that would have been the first guy right if it's ray ordonez doing that one of my all-time favorites you take it because the guy can't hit but michael conforto the mentality figure you're right it's not the actual action which is bad enough but the mentality that that type of hitter that guy in that spot would be so afraid to fail and he was struck out to throw his elbow out there but it is bigger picture than just that one moment he looks like a player who and I know he's starting to come out of it. What he have three hits yesterday or something like that? He had a couple hits, but he still looks like a player who's on the defense. 
intense. He looks like a player who has zero confidence. This is Conforto, a guy in 2015. I had more confidence in him. I was saying even at Cespedes' peak in 15-16, Conforto should be the best hitter on this team. So I had lofty expectations for him, and we really haven't seen that yet from start to finish of a year. And you could argue this has been his worst start so far to a year because he has just been completely lost. Hopefully Saturday's homer and the... uh... And that meaningless home run that he hit on Saturday gets him going a little bit. But remember Friday, we saw the two hits of the two jam jobs. And, you know, that's something that Keith Hernandez was probably on the broadcast. Hey, good hitters get jammed. And it's good. That kind of broke him a little bit out of the funk because it wasn't about swinging with 120 exit velocity. It wasn't about barreling the ball up. You know what it was about? Hey, sometimes there's some dumb luck in baseball and things usually average back out. So put the ball in play, make something happen. And he was able to do that and had two of the ugliest, cheapest hits you could have. But but hey, it was two for three on the night rather than 0 for four with three punch outs. So that's where I think the confidence maybe starts turning. He hits the home run. Great. But I still I, I need that clutch Michael Conforto back. I need the guy that hits the line drive home run to left field like it's, you know, like it's his job um, right now. He's just a, a big ball of uh, don't really know who I am or what kind of player I am. And that's unfortunate for a guy who's playing for one hundred and fifty. I feel like contract. I missed a few of those hits Friday because the, the she was Bridget was pouring up that vodka for us in the suite that uh <laughs> Uh, I was, hey, you guys are living a life going to those games. That's when he had a couple of hits, right? And he had a good weekend. As for, what do you have? Four hits overall during the weekend. So, but he put it this way: it's better than what we've seen from him. And we know he's been a streaky guy. But how was that sweep? By the way, we got to get you. Figure, if we do, we got to get Sal out there. Now you know. Once you're not on baby duty, Sal, or have an overnight, I'm getting a tape. I literally. What do you mean he's not on baby duty? He's I got asked, the, I, the I, asked, right. I asked Sal to go on Friday. He couldn't come. I'm like, so dude, are you kidding me? I love to go a sweet hanging out with you and Figgy watching the Metsies at City Field, I'd kill for that. I just, my wife just had the baby. There's no chance. Are you out of your mind? This is why Jake is yeah. single. Yeah, this right. This is why Jake is single. He's, he's texting me last week to go to, he's like, I know it's probably a long shot, but the Knicks are playing tonight. You want to go? I got I'm like, <laughs> Dude, I mean, there's no way. And I see him on Twitter. I'm en- I have to mute him soon because I'm envious of his life. He's living the life that I used to live in my 30s or 20s, go. going to ball games in the city left and right, eating chicken parm and steak dinners. And I'm sitting here cleaning babies' diapers. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, you're you're a real man now, Sal. You're a real man now. Listen, I, at least I'm offering for you to join in on I this fun. I appreciate it. So One of these days I'm going to go. Right, I promise. Well, it'll be a good time. Well, you know, Figgy, let's, let's welcome Sal to the – Nelson Figueroa Spanish Academy. Sal, did you ever take Spanish in your time? And no, I took Italian and uh, I failed miserably at that. Even though you know I am Italian, but it's similar, right? Similar to Spanish. Oh, oh me Salvatore. <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of R rolling, which I am terrible at. As the as we played early in the show, the Albert Almora catch the Spanish call had one of the all time great R rolls. All right, Figgy, give him. Can you give him like incredible catch in Spanish or a sensational catch? Un jugada. Increíble. Un jugada increíble. Increíble. Oh. Yeah. The man is fluent. My man. <laughs> the man is fluent. Give, Buon give compliano a te. <laughs> Happy <laughs> birthday, right? And that's the only one I know. I think. <laughs> that and Miki Amo Salvatore was the only thing I took out of Italian class. Yeah, listen, you make it seem easy because, again, you can take your time. You've lived life. You have experiences. You can flow with it. This Jake, he's stubborn, man. Can we give him some R rolling? Let's give him some R rolling. What Should we give him uh, something give, that's... Give him, the one, give him the one that kicks your butt all the time. What, pinch hitter? What was pinch hitter? Bateador emergente. Bateador emergente. Ooh! Sal's got a little accent yeah. on there. Whoa! <laughs> I may be better at that than English. <laughs> 
Oh my hey, goodness. I want you to go on SNY and I want to, it seemed like the SNY the SAP button was hit. Yeah. Just do the whole thing in Spanish. For real. Give him give him overreact because that's the R thing. Can you imagine Moose's reaction to that? Him and I debating and I just go full Spanish on him. <laughs> His head would explode. All right. We're gonna give you overreact overreact because I think that's something that's a part of your shtick. Yeah. Absolutely. So sobre reaccionar. Sobre reaccionar. Oh, a little bit of fumble, a little bit of fumble. Not bad. What you is could it? Roll your R's, though. Sobre reaccionar. Sobre reaccionar. I don't know. He could roll I mean, them a little right. bit, right? Like, better than right. that. He's, he's got it. I bet you he could salsa. I bet you he could do it all. This man, he can go into any environment. How do you, say, how do you say Diaz sucks? Do we have that one in there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how do you? I, I need that for future shows. <laughs> Yeah, you see, this is what I can't give them. It's like when you teach only the bad words yeah, to exactly, kids. Yeah, exactly, right. This is, I can't teach them those things. I thought about it. Trust what me, I thought stinks? about it. But Why I, do you say DS I, I like I like going to games and sitting in suites. So therefore, end of which, yeah. that won't be happening. Stinke de Diaz. How about that? Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> Sal, what do you think? What are we thinking about the Knicks? I encourage people to listen to us and JYD, Junkyard Dog on Big Apple Buckets, Patrick Ewan on this week. It's looking more and more to me that if this team does get the four seed, we might see the Knicks not only in the first round of the playoffs, but in the second round. I do think they're going to the second. I think they're winning the round. And I, I'm not just overreacting. Um, Sobre to- reaccionale. Okay, so, yeah, right. <laughs> I'm not just overreacting to the nine-game win streak here. They're a team that's gotten better. They're a team that was able to take a punch, get off the mat. Uh, they're, they're playing well as a team. Everything I've ever believed in in sports, that's what the Knicks are doing. And I was thinking about it, Jake, and I want to get to this on the podcast tomorrow when we record. This team is one of my favorite teams in Knicks history. You know, similar with the Mets, like I love the 99 Mets, even though they didn't have that much success. Well, this year's version of the Knicks, one of my favorite teams because they do everything that you'd ever want. They play together as a team. They play hard. They play with passion, both ends of the floor. They're great defensively. They're young. They're learning. This is a lovable team, and I think they're pretty darn good. I think they're better than anybody they're going to match up with in the first round. I'll tell you, I want the Nets in the second round just because I want to see I want to see the ultimate talent and no defense and no team chemistry or teamwork go against the complete opposite where they don't have great talent, but they have great defense and teamwork and chemistry. I don't think you want that. You want no, the Sixers. I'm not they the win, six... but I want to see those two go head to head. The Sixers are sobre reaccional. They're overrated. <laughs> or whatever you say, overrated. That's overreact. And the Sixers have the ability to be banged up come playoff time. And Bede's always hurt. So I think the Knicks would take the Sixers to maybe six, six, seven games if they were. I, I disagree with you on the Nets. Unless the Nets are hurt and Harden's still out. No, but not from them. a not from a perspective of easy win. I'm talking about a perspective of what I believe in as the right way to do things. The defense, the hard-nosed, tough teamwork. They've been together there. They've said it themselves. It's not one or two or three. It's 15 guys. That versus the opposite, where the Nets have brought in extremely tremendous, talented players, right? They have top three players in the world. If they could get, and they haven't played together at all this year, they don't play defense, they don't have a head coach with any experience, but they do have ultimate talent. So, what's, and they haven't played together at all. So, they don't have a head coach with experience, no defense, no team chemistry. What gives? I know that usually talent wins out. And you say, wow, the talent is just too much to overcome. I get it, Durant and Irving or Beast and Harden, if he could come back healthy. But I still would just like to see how those two match up against each other in a seven-game series. Not only are we talking about the Knicks on a Mets podcast here, but just in general, the fact that the Knicks are still a story 
in New York at this point where it's baseball season. I know the, the, this particular year it's gone later, but you get the idea that the Knicks were so irrelevant in October. We wouldn't be talking about them, let alone in April. The fact that we're talking about them and they're a big story and they're must watch. It's just it's inc- it's almost hard to believe because it hasn't happened for the better part of two decades. I'm hoping that blue and orange theme, you know, is something that can carry over. We see that with a lot of major cities that it's not just the one team that does well. It's every team in that city does well. So if they could uh, really set the bar that high and get into those playoffs and do some damage, uh, you know, I, I love where Mets baseball is headed and, and the direction that it is. So blue and orange could be a very nice theme around New York. We'll be talking about the Met, the Knicks on Memorial Day. We might even be talking about them on Flag Day on June 14th. <laughs> if they went around, I mean, we might talk about D-Day, June 6th, just looking at the June holidays right now. Um, obviously, the delayed season plays a part in that. But, yeah, it'd be fun if they made the second round. Last one for you, Sal. Who is your all-time? I know John Stark's your favorite uh, Nick of all time. Who's your favorite all-time Met, and who's your all-time favorite Met team? Oh, man. Um, it's a tough question. I mean, there were different generations of fandom. So when I was very – well, when I was very young was the 86 Mets, obviously. And that team always stuck with me, but I loved – Doc and Daryl and Gary Carter. Then in the late 80s, early 90s, it was Greg Jeffries was my favorite guy. I was obsessed with Jeffries, all the cards and everything. Uh, and then Ordonez really was a guy. Uh, and I've had a bunch of different jerseys. I've had jerseys of weird players like Isringhausen, Ordonez, Daryl Hamilton, Carlos Bayerga, Derek Bell. So I've had different favorites, but if you had asked me one all-time favorite Met, boy, it's an impossible. I'd probably say Ray Ordonez only because that was – the beginning of me going to games on my own. I was just graduating high school in 1997. So I remember being at opening day in 96, Ordonia's from his knees and watching him those years. My favorite team outside of the obvious 86 would be the 99 team. I love that team. And that team to me, I love John Olrud, all due respect to Zeal, my coworker at SNY. I love John Olrud. The guy was a machine. Matter of fact, Brandon Nimmo reminds me of Olrud offensively which I think is one of the highest compliments you could pay him. But that 99 team, you know, second year of Piazza, but the first full year of Piazza, kind of underdogs a little bit. And they battled. They had a little bit. We talk about the Knicks. They battle game in, game out. So I would say in recent years, outside of everything, 86, which I'll always love forever because I was young. That started it all. They won the last championship. I would say Ordonez and the 99 team, probably my favorites. Ray Ordonez is going to owe us for all these mentions of him. He hasn't got this many mentions on a show in his lifetime since <laughs> since then. That's the most obscure. Uh, Met. But I'll tell you, I mean, you know, my I always mention my age. 99 was the first year I was really a Mets fan. And they, you know, it's my life started out great. 99, 2000, and then after that, it all went downhill. But that 99 team. Oh, 06 was good. 06, I mean, 05 yeah. wasn't bad. 06 was good, other than the ending. Yeah, you're not that kid with the uh, sign in Boston. This is my 17th parade. <laughs> Remember that? The kid that went to, like, all the Patriots, all the Celtics, all oh, the Bruins. One day, uh, you know. Victory the, parades. I think the Mets are, within the next couple of years, I think the Mets, I don't know if the Knicks will win a title in the next couple of years, but I think they could get to the finals maybe in a year or two. We'll see what happens Would you have Nets, said, would you, yeah, I know it was COVID last year. Would you have said the Miami Heat was going to be the team to beat? Yeah, right. So I, I, I love I love that because of all these super teams that are getting put together. Oh, come on, play with, uh, we have three, four guys. Yeah. Play, yeah, great. I love those underdogs now more than ever. Just to see a scrappy team go out there and play hard and, and get the job done. So I, you never know. You never know. Could be the year. One thing with the Mets that I want to make sure this year. I, I know everybody has playoff expectations and aspirations a lot. As long as Jacob Degrom 
takes the mound for game one of whatever playoff series, I'm okay with this. They cannot waste him. So I know the, you know, ultimately you want to win a world series. And that's what you know, we're talking about here. The Mets, are they going to be able to win a world series in the next five years or whatever window? They've got the best pitcher in baseball. They've had it. It's criminal that they've been wasting it. I need to, we, we need to see him on the mound in the postseason for a five game series for a wild card game. Doesn't matter. He's got to be on the mound in the postseason. Otherwise it's an absolute failure yet again. And Salakata needs a babysitter that day so he can go to the game. <laughs> you need to be in the building, Sal. That would probably, I doubt we'll have a suite for that. That would be take some extra schmoozing. Oof. But, uh, you know, we'll be there in some capacity. And, Sal, you'll have to come out. Salakata, you can follow him on Twitter at Sal underscore Licata. Check out Big Apple Buckets, our New York Post-Knicks podcast, Tuesdays. Every Tuesday, the rest of the way, we'll take you through the playoffs. Patrick Ewing joins the show Tuesday. Uh, WFN 1 to 5 a.m. and SNY as well. Sal, great to talk to you, and uh, I'll talk to you tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. I'll see you. So I love the cross promotion. Thank you guys for having me, and hopefully we can get out to a ball game soon. Figgy, I missed you. Miss you too, brother. Be good. That says Arrivederci to episode 46, the Oliver Perez edition of Amazing But True, our Mets podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to you, Jake and Brian Mungia, for producing the show. Give Amazing But True a five-star rating and write in a nice review on Apple Podcasts. Grazi, amico mios. For Nelson Figueroa, I'm Jake Brown. We'll be back on Thursday following the Mets' two-game set against the Red Sox. I hate those two gamers, but enjoy the games at City, and I'll see you there. Let's go Mets.